0: God we praise you that you are in fact the strength of our heart. God that you are the one who strengthens us through your Holy Spirit. even when we're weary and downtrodden, even when we are even when we're struggling in trials and, and difficulties in, in this life, God you provide us the strength that we need. God this morning, even as we go to your word, God, would you give us in this room a a deep sense of your good pleasure? God, a deep sense that as your children, God, you look upon us affectionately. Not necessarily because of anything we've done or anything that we've accomplished in and of ourselves. But God, because of the person of Jesus Christ, who you have joined us to by faith. God, so this morning, God, we thank you. God, we thank you that we don't have this transactional relationship with you. God, but that it is one that is founded in deep and abiding, steadfast, never-ending, never giving up love. God, that flows from you and from your heart as part of your character. God, we, we praise you for this reality. God, as we turn to your word, God, we praise you that you've given it to us so that we may know truths about you and about the love that you have for us and about the love that comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ that we may know these truths more deeper, more deeply and grow in affection for you. God, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things this morning. Amen. So we're looking at Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse verse 4, and only verse 4, actually. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So you remember over the course of the last several weeks, as we've been... Thinking about Ephesians chapter five verses twenty-two through uh, Ephesians six verse four, we've been considering some questions together. Uh, Since Jesus is the light of the world and He brings redemption into our world, uh, He brings uh, gives meaning to our whole reality. uh, The question we're asking is: How should our relationships look in the nuclear family? Uh, Beginning in verse 22 of chapter 5, we see uh, husbands and wives addressed. And last week, we saw children addressed and how they should relate to, at every stage in their life, their parents. So we're continuing to ask these questions. Since Jesus is king, reigning right now, and we are citizens of his kingdom, how should we then, according to scripture, looking at verse 4 of chapter 6 of the book of Ephesians, how should we parent our children? And since Jesus is God's word that took on flesh, how do we walk as he walked? How do we follow him in each and every area of our lives? Ephesians 6.4 drives us back into the Old Testament uh, in the way that God outlines for us um, relationships between parents and their children, which there's a lot of material there. In the Old Testament, we're going to touch on some of those things, and Paul is assuming then, or training his, uh, training his readers here in the book of Ephesians, to understand better all of God's intent, all of God's designs for the nuclear family wives and husbands we remember that our dance is one of submission and sacrifice uh, that is reflecting Jesus as the light of the world uh, children your obedience to God your father is put on full display when you honor and when you obey your parents and even as we get older as we understand how it or what it looks like to honor our parents following in the footsteps of Jesus who perfectly honors perfectly obeys his heavenly Father, and so again, now we come to parents in verse four. Just one verse here, but it's loaded. It's a loaded verse. Young parents, um, you no doubt have felt overwhelmed by the amount of information that comes your way in your in your parenting um, regarding the development and growth of your children, physical, mental, all of those spheres. Parents of teenagers or even young adults, you've from time to time been baffled as your kids have made decisions, as they enter into new stages, as they find out what independence look like. As you enter into later stages of life, the parenting dynamic changes dramatically again and again. And then, of these relationships within the family, wives and husbands, children and parents, parents and children. None of these relationships, we would say, are easy. In fact, in a lot of ways, they're very, very difficult. Anyone who tells you that these relationships are easy or can be easy um, in a world that's soaked in sin is most likely lying to you probably to sell you something. Everyone who's a parent, please know, especially if you're a young parent here, I think that's a strategy of the devil. To isolate you from brothers and sisters in Christ, please know that you're not alone. But you're not designed to do this parenting thing disconnected from a community of faith like this one. It is a strategy of the devil to isolate you and make you feel like you're doing stuff by yourself. It's a strategy of the devil to make you feel like you've got to figure out this parenting thing on your own. It's a strategy of the devil to convince you that you should Google a parenting question before go to God's word and see what it has to say. There's, a, there's truth in the old adage, it takes a village to raise a child. And I think that one of the problems in our modern society when it comes to parenting is that although we're more connected than ever, and I guess I could say this is true about everything, although we're more connected than ever, um, we've also become more isolated than ever. No matter what Verizon or at and or T-Mobile tell you in their commercials, there are men and women, even in this room this morning, that are suffering from extreme loneliness, even though they have the ability to pick up the phone and call anyone across the globe. And in matters of parenting and in life, friends, you're not alone. Look at this room. This is what we're designed for as a local church. We're designed for one another. We exist for each other. If you feel alone this morning, know that you're not. You're not. Reach out. Ask someone. Hey, can we talk? And know that you're not alone also because you have a Heavenly Father who loves you more deeply than you could even imagine. When it comes to matters of parenting, there's a lot to say. But there's a quote that I've grabbed a hold of in my own own parenting that I want you to grab hold of too because I think it sums up what well, is a short verse and it's not many words fewer than what's in verse four here but I think it sums up what what's contained here in Ephesians 6 4 um it's by a man named J.C. Ryle who I've kind of adopted as my dead theological mentor he's like um He's a a 19th century pastor who committed his life to just simple, practical, uh, pastoral application of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he wrote a very small book. A lot of his books are very small. And so if you look him up, you can bite those and chew on them for a while, bite them off very quickly. Um, And you should all go to Amazon and buy it. It's called The Duties of Parents. You'll see it in the notes in your worship folder. Um, it's the duties of parents. I think it's like, depending on the copy you get, it's like 40 pages. It's very, very small. But here's a quote that's impacted my thinking on parenting and driven me to God's word in my own home. Ryle just says, reader, do not be wiser than God. Train your children as he trains his now, none of us can be wiser than God, so that's the assumption here in this quote, right? That none of us can be wiser than the one who created everything and sustains everything with a word. And so we can since we cannot be wiser than God, we ought to train our children the ways that God trains his children. To choose to reject God's way of parenting is to claim to be wiser than God. And if any of us seeks to be wiser than God, We find the corrective right there at the end of the book of Job, where God says to Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Reader, do not be wiser than God. Train your children as he trains his. So how does God train his children? How does God raise up his children? He trains them with his word. 1st Timothy 3:16 and 17 All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be completely complete equipped for every good work. This is what we want for our children. To according to God's word train them, teach them, reprove them, Correct them so that they may be complete, equipped for every good work. Parents, you must be convinced, no matter what stage of parenting you're in, you must be convinced that every stage of your children's lives uh, will be benefited by the Word of God and that it is perfectly suited to guide our parenting practice. And so we must be convinced that our Heavenly Father has spoken to us Through his word about his holy character and how we should reflect him. And parents, God loves your kids more than you ever could. God loves your children more than you could ever love your children. And yet, he has chosen you as their parents. God has chosen you for a specific task with your children. And his word is how he will light up the parenting path for you. Do not be wiser than God. Train your children as he trains his. That's right at the heart of Ephesians 6-4, and that's what we're going to explore together. So, the verse itself, we're just going to walk through it. There's kind of three parts to it that I want to look at. First, the admonition, the, the address to fathers, and then this Negative command that comes: Do not provoke your children to anger, and then the positive one, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And at the heart, we ought to see that our children, uh, as we have to see our children, as God sees His. So, where does Paul start? Paul starts by addressing fathers. Now, I've been talking about parenting, and so the question may be in your mind: Well, like, why? Why are we talking about parenting? Um, because he just says father. Should we be talking about biblical fatherhood? And the answer is yes, we should be. Parenting in our society is sometimes just relegated to the mother. Sometimes this happens because of circumstances, but sometimes it happens because a father, uh, a father um, abdicates his role in the family. Oftentimes, though, when the, where there is a father and a mother present in the home, um, the, the the responsibility seems to fall or is relegated to the mother primarily. She's the one who is naturally in tune with the needs of her children, typically. She's the one that's naturally better at the whole child-rearing thing. And sometimes dads can be led to believe that they can just check out. It was like, my wife's got it under control. But husbands and fathers are the directional head of the home. They're the directional leaders of the home. And they're the head of the household. And where the head is where the brain is. And the brain is central command for direction. Nothing happens in your body. Nothing happens in your body without the brain's involvement. From involuntary actions like breathing to uh, swinging a golf club or running a marathon or... Learning nuclear physics, the brain is involved in all of these activities. It's the directional epicenter. The brain is the head. So Paul starts with fathers. He's assuming an ideal situation here. We talked about this back when we looked at wives and husbands, that there's an ideal situation that Paul is looking at and saying, hey, look here. This is how wives and husbands, how children and parents ought to engage and interact with each other so this in this ideal situation that Paul is talking about the ideal situation that all of us as fathers in this room should be striving towards is there there's this uh, underlying current that a man who is at the helm of the uh, at, at the helm of the family is a follower of Jesus who desires biblical to fulfill his biblical role as a father And the way that God designed it. It's a man who's gripped by the gospel of Jesus Christ. A man who recognizes that Jesus Christ came into the world to die for the sins of everyone. He's gripped by the gospel. He's not made an idol of his work or his leisure. So, fathers in this room, Paul is assuming directional headship here. And that's why he addresses fathers. When you leave all the decisions about the kids to your wife, while remaining uninvolved, you burden her with a role that is not hers. And you, whether you like it or not, are still responsible, even if you leave it exclusively to your wife. You're saying, but I had other things going on, will not cause God to change his design for your home. Men, you're responsible for the directional leadership for your family. Paul addresses fathers because they're responsible for their home. This isn't a domineering role. It's not saying, uh, we're going to do things my way now. Rather, it's understanding. Your wife is a caregiver and a nurturer, but also knowing that she's your helper and is designed that way, not the other way around. According to Genesis 2.18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Your wife is a helper fit for you. Similar, it needs to be acknowledged. Women in this room. um, Sometimes what happens in the home is that the wife... acts like her husband is incapable of the directional leadership because he hasn't necessarily shown any initiative in this area. Men sometimes are unintentionally and sometimes intentionally sidelined when it comes to matters of their children in the parenting process. Women sometimes hold their kids too closely, not letting anyone, including their husbands, touch the children. They create an air of untouchability around them. Because they say, well, my husband doesn't even know the correct dosage of cough syrup to give the kids when, when they're sick. Or, my husband doesn't know how to get the kids dressed in the morning properly. The, the stripes and the polka dots and the color wheel are all off. But sometimes the reason men don't know these things is because their wives have created that air of untouchability around their kids. Women, this is how unhealthy and unwise, according to God's word, because it often causes interdependent relationships between mothers and children that at best do not consider their children will one day leave the home. Hamstringing the development of masculinity in sons, harming the early stages of their daughters' marriages. There's a lot of implications here. That's the best case scenario. The worst case scenario is just unmitigated idolatry. You may have turned your kids into idols. The Old Testament, I reference this at the beginning, the Old Testament assumes that the father has a big role in the home and the directional leadership. Remember the Proverbs. Think of the Proverbs as a parenting book. There's a lo- so much given to parents. It starts out by Solomon speaking to his son. Now, it speaks as if both fathers and mothers are deeply involved in the lives of their children, but it rejects the cultural notion of abdication of responsibility by the father. It starts out in the beginning, uh, Proverbs 1, 8, and 9, very first chapter. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. There are graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck over and over again through the first several chapters of the Proverbs at least, each section begins, My son, hear my son, listen to my instruction. All of this to say, does this mean the wife's role is lessened? And the answer is not at all. Again, the book of Proverbs, the very last chapter in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 31 is well known, the the second half of that chapter it is assumed that the an excellent wife is the one who is radically active in her home and in her community but she fully understands her god-given role in relationship to the head her husband who is the directional leader for the home so note then what is told what is said here fathers the negative command do not provoke your children to anger. Now, what you shouldn't hear right away is uh don't make your kids mad. You should hear that, but you shouldn't only hear that. There's a lot more behind this statement that Paul makes. It's why this verse is so loaded. Dads and, and moms too, don't intentionally make your children angry. What you should do is Think about your heavenly father and how he relates to you. Think about his character, his holy nature. Your heavenly father, even when revealing sin to you, his child does so in kindness. Romans 2.4, God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. God is patient. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. Relate to your children in this way. Don't be one who gives full vent to their anger in the home. But this is more than just momentary frustration or anger. That's what I want to show you here is do not provoke your children to anger isn't just um, I did something that made my child upset in the moment. Think about this more long term because this is the way the Bible thinks about this. The Bible has a short term and a long term view in mind, and the proverbs always have this in the both the short and long term in mind. And so, your kids, uh, school age kids, uh, K through six, they got a memory verse uh, last week in in their classrooms, and part of that, the beginning of it, is Proverbs three. The ver- whole section is Proverbs three one through eight, but the first two verses there in Proverbs 3, one and two, my son, there's another instance of this instruction. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commands for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. So God teaches us diligently as his children. So don't neglect to teach your kids the way that God does his, with his word. And when we teach our kids God's word and when they live by it, The result is a community that endures and peace. Those are the things. Length of days and years of life in peace. That's what is told for those who are instructed according to God's word. So when we fail to teach our kids God's word or model faithless, godless living, we provoke our children to anger long term. When we fail to teach our kids God's word or model faithfulness, Faithless, godless living, we provoke our children to anger long term. One of the ways, and the primary way that scripture plays this plays out in scripture is lack of discipline and instruction. Lack of discipline and instruction leave a child angry at his his or her parent. Multiple instances in the book of Proverbs. I'm going to run through a couple here. Proverbs thirteen, twenty-four. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Parents, you need to in, for parents of young children. You need to um, be administering consistent discipline in the home, because children need to learn discipline. I tell my boys, um, you're getting older. My discipline is tapering off for them, because they need to learn the self-discipline that's required when I'm no longer over them. My discipline is going to give way to the self-discipline that they need to be developing. Children, when they reach adulthood, who are undisciplined as dependent children, will often resent their parents or just be angry in general because they did not learn how to make wise decisions or did not understand the concept of consequences. Friends, the, the world is far less forgiving than we are as parents. The world is far less forgiving than dads and moms. Discipline your kids diligently now for the purpose of growth in godly wisdom so that your children aren't provoked to anger. If you fail to discipline your kids, the verse is clear. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. You don't love them. Passing over disobedience and rebellion with no consequence is not gracious. Graciousness. It's hatred. That's what scripture says. Be not wiser than God. Train your children as God trains His. Consider Proverbs 29 17. Discipline your son, and he will give you rest. He will delight. He will give delight to your heart. A bitter, angry child is a result of lack of discipline. Discipline is hard. The pull for us as parents is to let, well, you're going to let that one go. But you need to be consistent. The proverb is saying pay now or pay later. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. It's a long-term view. Do the hard work of disciplining your kids now and later you will have peace. The last one I'll mention is Proverbs 22, 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him folly foolishness sinfulness we could translate that anyway there is the best is best dealt with when kids are young so that the roots of their sin don't go deep tend the garden weed the garden and you will successfully uproot potential long-term deep-seated sin in your child discipline is the way to do this it's the way to not provoke your child to anger proverbs 29:11 A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds back. A fool gives full vent to his spirit. A fool is angry and lets everyone know around him. But a wise man quietly holds back. Be not wise within God. Train your children as God trains his. Discipline your kids and teach your children discipline, and they will not be provoked to anger. So you no doubt see the connection then between uh, that negative command. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And according to the Proverbs, the way to not provoke your children to anger is to administer consistent discipline. But what about the rest of the verse then? So what is in view here when Paul says, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord? This is exactly where we need to get the understanding that we need to train our children in the way that God trains His. That little phrase right at the end, that prepositional phrase, of the Lord, is of utmost importance. That we discipline and instruct our children like God disciplines and instructs His. And again, the first and only way to do this, the first and only way to discipline and instruct your children is according to God's Word. There is no other way. Parents, you're responsible for disciplining and instructing your kids according to God's word. I had a conversation with a pastor a couple of years ago. He pastors a relatively large church in the Northeast part of the United States. And several kids, middle school, high school age, they're struggling with gender identity. They were struggling with sexual orientation. And this pastor was getting calls from men and women in his congregation. And they were saying, how could this happen to our children? What, what are you teaching our children? And he said to them, what are you not teaching them? Parents, the command in Ephesians six four is to you. It's to you. If you have children, this is the command given to you. I have six kids and my kids, that this command is for me, for them. It's not for me or the elders or the BCC Kids Instructors for your kids. It's for you as their parent. I have pastoral responsibilities to equip you. The elders have pastoral responsibilities to give you God's word often. But bringing your kids up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, that's for parents. Don't make the mistake of thinking your kids will receive discipline and instruction by osmosis if they get close to a church building or the Bible sits on their nightstand. By part of this command, also here, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord also assumes consistent and committed involvement in a local church. Congregational worship is a key part of every Christian's discipleship. And that includes your children. Your kids may not understand everything that's said, everything that's sung, everything that is read throughout the throughout the course of congregational worship. But that doesn't discount the fact that the environment is one of discipleship. Your children are learning when they sit here in, on Sunday morning. Your children are learning what it looks like to be a body of Christ. What service and love for one another looks like. And this very verse is written to parents of children in a local church in Ephesus. A church like ours, probably similar to the size that we are. We are to train our kids as God does his. God trains us by his word administered in congregational worship. Friends, your kids' souls are eternal. They need to learn what it looks like to be part of a community of faith because it's an integral part of our growing in Christ-likeness. The weekly gathering of the saints is an assumed reality for everyone who claims to be in Christ. Because of that, we shouldn't skip church for temporary things. Remember, we live in a world where there's a lot of sickness right now. There's a lot of illness going around. The reality is, yes, we need to, we need to, Get well before we come and sneeze on people. But we should consider our our decision-making rubric when it comes to what we will miss church for. Friends, many of you in this room have kids who are getting to an age where youth sports and the decision is going to come quickly. We need to consider how we're going to make this decision about playing on Sundays friends, you should deeply consider this question and not just assume the cultural answer. The bodies of your kids will break down quickly, leaving them athletically incapable of sports very quickly. I I was doing some drywall work yesterday, and I am about to take a nap. My body is not what it was when I played high school football. But we do need to take into consideration that our kids' souls will live or die for eternity. We do need to take into consideration that there is a lot to be gained or lost. People make the argument that youth sports build character and necessary life skills. That's not wrong. It's lovely. I learned a lot of things by playing sports in high school and middle school. It may be good for character development, and it may be good for teamwork. But we need to take into consideration and take our cues about character from a holy God who does not change, who sets the standard for morality and character and living, and is Trinitarian in his nature, who has existed in perfect harmony with himself for all of eternity. Teamwork, character. This is the venue. Parents, take into consideration your decision-making rubric about what will pull you out of congregational worship. We are to instruct our children according to God's word and always lead our children every week to drink from the well of God's word in congregational worship. Friends, this is not a condemnation. This is an encouragement to give thought to this. I feel like sometimes we just drift along with the cultural norms in this area, and we need to take close consideration of how we're going to approach these questions. How will we raise our children? What will our decisions about the weekend communicate about what's important? Final thing here is that everything, not different, but similarly in this vein, consider that everything you do with and around your children has an instructive effect. Your kids are always watching. Your kids, even as adults, your kids are always watching, and your actions have an instructive effect. Ensure then, parents, that you're quick to repent of what God calls sin. Be quick to ask for forgiveness when you wrong your spouse or children. Spend regular time in God's Word in common areas of your home, individually and together as a family. Pray together as a family. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs together. Memorize Proverbs and other wisdom passages in Scripture and offer them as correctives. Ask God to increase your faith so that you do not lose sight of the holy character of your heavenly father who delights in you as your heavenly father. And do not lose sight of Jesus Christ, his son, who has made, this is John, John's gospel, has made the heaven your heavenly father known to you. Your kids know what you spend your time doing, and it's teaching them how to spend their time. Your kids feel your attitudes and responses to difficulties or to joys and it's teaching them how to and what is appropriate in their attitudes and responses. Fathers consider that 90-hour work week is com- communicating something to your children. Not just because you're not around, but because what you love and give your time to, they will develop similar loves. Mothers consider that keeping your house clean is less important than the spiritual development of your children. Proverbs 14.4. I love this proverb because I have six kids. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. (laughs) But by the abundant crops come the strength of the ox. Of course, if there's nothing living in your house, nothing ever gets dirty. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. Expect messes. The lives of your children represent the fruit of your life. Parents, consider that talking poorly or gossiping about others is heard by little ears and will quickly be reproduced by them. Proverbs twenty six twenty: For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarrelling ceases. Are you piling wood on the fire? Don't pile wood on the fire. Silence your gossiping tongue around the dinner table, and all together. And watch your children fight less. The dignity, the image bearing come to the fore. Our lives are instructive and our environments are instructive. Our commitment to God's word is instructive. So we're headed to the Lord's table together. But before we do, let's think about our Heavenly Father's holy character. That we're to reflect in our own parenting. Are we going to do this perfectly? The answer is no, but we have the perfect heavenly father, and we should look to him continually to understand our parenting and our relationship to our children better. God is the perfect parent, he is made known to us in the person of Jesus Christ, and how we can respond to his perfect character is by training our children the way that he does his. God is patient, God is slow to anger. God disciplines those he loves. Joe read that from Hebrews 12 this morning. God kindly shows us our sin and gives abundant opportunity to repent. God is abounding in steadfast love. God is eternal, faithful to his word. This is your heavenly father, the one who sent his son to die for you. And so as we approach the Lord's table, that's what we reflect on this morning. Our relationship with our heavenly father, contingent upon, is impossible apart from the person of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. That's where I want you to focus this morning. Understanding that your perfect heavenly father is known because of what Jesus did for you on the cross he makes him known to us and so we come to the table and we celebrate the bread the broken body the shed blood of Jesus that is given for the forgiveness of our sins so that we might have so that we can say our heavenly father delights in us as his children proclaim together Jesus Christ who died so that we could know our heavenly father. If you're in this room this morning and you're not sure what it means to be a follower of Jesus, this is for followers of Jesus, those who have confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in their hearts that God raised him from the dead. So if that's you this morning, if you've made that profession of faith, by all means, join us at the table this morning. If that's not you, just take a moment to think about what... uh, has been communicated here this morning. Parents, exercise discretion for your children, as we always say. In a moment, I'm going to pray. When I pray, feel free, when you're ready in your heart to approach the table, grab the elements, you can take them back to your seat and participate there. Let me pray. God, we thank you this morning for your word. God, we thank you that it is Sufficient for all that we need. That it is breathed out by you and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That we might be equipped and complete, prepared for every good work. God, so this morning as we think about raising our children as we think about a community of faith where there are many children uh, in and around us regularly, God, may may we devote ourselves more deeply to your word. God, and may we see, may we acknowledge, may we know that your delight has come upon us because of the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. God, may we see the broken body and the shed blood this morning. God, may we see them clearly. God, may we repent and move more fully towards a deeper relationship with you. God, for these things we thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.